Welcome to I See You, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Hey, welcome everyone to I See You. This is going to be episode 86, Challenging the Stigma with Drew Young. And this is exciting. This is our first episode that I'm launching on the new YouTube channel. So that's really fun. I don't have a sponsor this week because I'm just too lazy. And sometimes I get sick of getting sponsors. So I'm sponsoring my own episode. And I'm just going to tell you in 30 seconds that my new book is out. And it's super exciting. It's called I See You, just like the podcast. I See You, How Compassion and Connection Save Lives. It's kind of a self-help leadership book. Tim Ballard, we had write the foreword, which we're really excited about. We love the people over at OUR, Operation Underground Railroad, and everything they're doing. They're not sponsoring this episode, though. I'm going to talk about my book. Uh, it's, it's on Amazon. It's also on my publisher's website. There's a bracelet along with it that says, I see you, which those of you that have followed the podcast, you've listened to the first episode, you know that I was given a bracelet that says, I see you on it. And that that was a really meaningful, important part of my life. So I'm excited that um, a bracelet is being marketed along with the book. You can find that on Amazon. You can find it on Cedar Fort. Um, but you can just find all of that at my one-stop website, julieleespeaks.com. And that's where you'll be able to see how to get discount off of it and all of that stuff. And of course, find all the podcast episodes. So enough of that. I hope that was 30 seconds. Drew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Julie. I'm so excited to be here with you. So excited for your book to come out, your success, everything. It's just an honor to be here with you today to talk. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. Will you start, for people that don't know you, a lot of people do by now. You're, you're doing some really awesome work. Will you start and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Drew Young. currently live in Salt Lake City, Utah with my wife, Sabrina, and our little daughter, Emerson, who just is about to turn eight months. Um, we've been married for about two and a half years. And um, I grew up in Connecticut, so I'm not originally from the West Coast, uh, but I had a lot of awesome experiences out there and, and um, on the East Coast in Connecticut, learned a lot of different things. Uh, and then when I was 12 years old, my dad got a new job that moved us out to Utah. So I've been here ever since. Um, did high school here, college here, uh, and I just love to associate myself with people like you, Julie, who just have a mission to make the world a better place, to inspire, to connect, to be compassionate and kind. Um, especially nowadays, the world just needs that. So I'm so happy to be here today. Well, we're happy to have you. I can say that. <laughs> Give listeners some insight into your mental and emotional health journey. What has that been like for you? Yeah, so I've I've dealt with mental health struggles probably ever since I was five or six years old. And I'm 24 now. So I mean, it's like two decades worth of just trying to figure out how to cope, how to um, challenge the stigma and end the stigma of mental health issues. Uh, but growing up, I had a lot of separation anxiety. Uh, it was something that was just you know, a part of me. Um, I have, you know, family history, um, challenges with mental illness, you know, my grandma and great grandma and, you know, some of my aunts, uncle, aunts and uncles have, have dealt with de uh, depression and anxiety. But for me growing up, 
separation anxiety was just something that was a part of me. I couldn't, I couldn't do a lot of the things um, normal kids were doing. Uh, it was really hard for me to leave the house. It was hard for me to go to um, hang out with friends or do sleepovers or scout camps or even going to school uh, um, during certain periods of my life was extremely difficult. And the way that the separation anxiety manifested itself was through um, just feeling really homesick, really panicky, really fearful. I always thought my mom would be in like a car accident or, you know, she would leave the house and want to come back or something like that. Just completely um, irrational behavior and thought processes, but that's what anxiety does. It like takes our minute fears and blows them up into like ginormous, the world is ending scenarios. Um, and so that was a huge part of my childhood. Um, obviously there were times in my life where, you know, it would go, it would ebb and flow where I'd have it for, you know, six months, it'd go away for two years it'd come back for, you know, a year and then it'd go away for three years. And it was just so unusual. Uh, but when my family moved to Utah, when I was 12 was where it really attacked me for quite a few years. And, uh, and so when we moved, Obviously, I wanted to make new friends. I wanted to go to school. I wanted to, you know, treat Utah like it was my new home because it was. And I still remember to this day, I was at scout camp. Um, this was about two months after we moved in. And I didn't have any separation anxiety at the time. But I literally went to bed and I woke up the next morning and it was back. Like, just like that. There wasn't any warning sign. There wasn't, you know, any buildup. I was fine the night before and the next morning I was like freaking out. Like I was homesick. I was panicking. I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, is everything okay? And the ensuing three and a half, four years were just really difficult for me. Um, I dealt with a lot of bullying. I was bullied severely because of my homesickness because I wore glasses because I was the new kid on the block who couldn't go to school and couldn't do a lot of the things that a lot of the other kids were doing. And it really damaged me emotionally. And, um, I turned to pornography. I turned to, um, a lot of stuff that was just like looking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, bad coping, you know, mechanism. But in the moment it was just something that numbed me to what was going on. It, it felt like, you know, if this is what connection is, then, okay, you know, I'll take it because I'm totally empty inside and I don't have anyone to hang out with or whatever. So I'll just turn to this because it's accessible and easy and whatever. And so that was a, that stayed with me, that um, consumption stayed with me until I was about 16. And then I finally was able to break out of it. And then I broke out of my separation anxiety and ended up going to high school and all that different stuff. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where my mental health journey started. Sorry for the super long diatribe on that. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. And then, well, because I know your story a little bit. So you kind of got it under control, yeah. 16, 17. And, yeah. and you, you know, you, you got healing from pornography and some other things that were just really detrimental to your health, some unhealthy coping mechanisms. Uh-huh. But that wasn't the end. <clears throat> because no. I know... <laughs> So talk to me about that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was the beginning. Um, it's weird to say that, but it was, I mean, when I was 19 years old, I decided that I wanted to do a service mission for my church. And so it was going to be a two year kind of sabbatical where I was going to leave family and friends and go out and, 
go to, you know, random countries, speak a random language and um, try and teach people about my faith and my religion. And I had thought about this my whole life. I knew I wanted to do it. I knew that, you know, separation anxiety was a possibility to kind of keep me down, but I was like, no way. I well, can you've, been, this. you've been good for a while. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've been yeah. good since I was like 16. And so, you know, it's a yeah. three year time period. And I thought that I'd literally, I just thought I'd outgrown it. Um, and I never taken any, you know, medication for it. I'd never really gone to any therapy. I just was like, all right, I grew this. Um, but once I went on this service mission, um, I left my family. I was preparing to, to go to the country of Estonia. And I was in what they call the missionary training center, which is basically just where you go for, you know, an X amount of time, whether it's nine weeks or six weeks or whatever, to learn how to be a missionary. And it was the first time in my entire life that I started to experience actual, you know, general anxiety disorder symptoms, depression symptoms. And it was just so new to me. I mean, you can add your experience to it as well. But when we go through these things for the first time, it's like, okay, we have no idea what's going on. We think we can just, you know, do more things to break out of it or, you know, maybe we need to sleep more. Maybe we need to meditate more, pray more. Um, maybe we just need to like, okay, something's wrong, but we'll fix it. And my experience turned out to be completely different than what I had ever thought or anticipated where um, it got so bad that at nine weeks into my service mission, that was supposed to be two years the leadership there was like, you know, you need to go home. Like this is not good. And, and the reason for that was I was completely perfectionistic. The anxiety in my brain just turned me into a total freak where I was like, if this isn't exactly the way it's supposed to be, then I am like, I can't do this. Um, and I experienced panic attacks on almost a daily basis. Um, I started to have some seizures. I was, gaining a lot of weight. I wasn't sleeping, all these different things to just build up and build up and build up. And I had seen a therapist for a couple of weeks um, while I was there and she helped me a lot, but therapy by itself can't heal mental illness. You know, you need to reach out and get some more help and they put me on medication and they had me on three medications in four weeks, which is insane. Um, I don't know what they were thinking and I don't know what I was thinking to agree to that, but it was just absolutely detrimental to my emotional health, my mental health. And I ended up coming home from that uh, experience, uh, obviously very early, uh, much earlier than I had thought of. And that's when my mental health journey and wanting to, destigmatize it began. Good job. <laughs> Good job being so I know, honest. right? And now you are, you're on this. And I know that there were some dark years immediately after that. You didn't come home and you weren't quite the bright, happy, hopeful man that you are now. It took some time. I know we've talked about like experiences you had laying on the ground, just shaking and crying, which I really related to just not knowing what your life was going to be like. And I know like me, you mm-hmm. had lots of thoughts of suicide and yes, it, it was, it was, and I say that only because I think sometimes it's easy to see people like you who are so bright and full of light and you don't always know what it took to get here. And I just want to honor mm-hmm. that. Cause I mean, look at you now. Right. But 
but the mm. middle was crap, right? Yeah, it was, it was hell. I mean, if I could, that's just the only thing I can say to describe it where, like you mentioned, the two months after, or excuse me, the, like the two years after I had gotten home, I was just in the darkest place. I was um, obviously still trying to figure out, you know, why my brain was doing this, why I was feeling this way. Um, I learned the hard way, like you mentioned, why we should never, ever judge people um, based on, you know, things that happen or, you know, how they act or something like that. Cause we literally have no idea what they're going through. We have no idea what they have gone through. Um, and the last thing they need is someone to judge them, uh, falsely or add all these, um, you know, expectations on them that could just make their lives terrible. And like you mentioned, I was, you know, suicidal for quite a bit of time. I, had tons of panic attacks. I'd lay on my floor at night, like you mentioned, and just shake and just wonder what the heck was going on. I tried, you know, four or five different types of medications after that. In those two years, uh, went to therapy every other week, huge advocate for therapy. Um, you know that I, (laughs) yes, I know everyone listening to this. Um, if you can go see a therapist or telehealth (laughs) or whatever it is, you know, I mean, it's so beneficial. It's so helpful. Um, it can literally save your life. Just having someone there to understand you and walk you through what you're going through. And then also, I mean, if you need medication as well, take medication. Um, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was just telling me that they didn't want to be different. They didn't want to take medication because they thought that people would look at them differently. They thought that they would be on it for their whole lives and they didn't want to have to accept that. And I said, I totally get it. Like, I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, You need to accept that in order to be healthy, this is something you need to do. Um, And they were just like, but I don't want to be on, I don't want to be dependent on something like this. And I said, there's nothing besides Jesus. There's like nothing that's better for you to depend on when you're mentally ill than medication, if you need to take it. And it's just, it's going to, not make you a different person is going to make you who you've always wanted to be, but couldn't be when you weren't taking it. And so obviously I can't control what they do, but, um, having my own experiences dealing with it, I was able to just kind of be like, listen, I know I totally get it. I was exactly the same way. I judged people so hard for taking medication until I took it. And then I was like, yes, this is a lifesaver. So, um, you and I are on the same path. We have the same feelings about this. And, um, yeah, there were some, there were definitely some really difficult times and I still have bad days, um, regardless of, you know, how I'm doing now. I'm a lot in a better, I'm a much better place than I was, but you know, we still have bad days. We still have moments where we want to give up and be a ball on the floor and just cry all day. But, uh, I definitely have better coping mechanisms now than I did, you know, five, 10 years ago. (laughs) Totally. Well, me and you have talked about this before where it's like, at 19, you knew everything and you knew that yeah. people didn't need meds, right? Yeah. They just need to work a little harder. Suck it up. Come on, people. Suck it up, people. Um, <laughs> and now you and I are both like, we love the drug that helps us to be normal. Yes. Because like you said, and I, I just really, I love how you say this because I totally agree. And it's totally how I felt in therapy when I was so depressed. I was like, this is the real me. 
I was always faking before. I've never been happy. That's how I felt. And then it's like, once I was on medication that worked, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I can see that life can get better. I can see all of a sudden I felt like the real me again. It wasn't that the the medicine covered up me. It was that the medicine just balanced out my chemicals a little bit. But but before I took it, I was like, the medicine is just going to, it's, you know, that's not the real me. I'm just covering up the real me. This like despicable human Mm -hmm. being who like can't tie her own shoes is the real me and I'm terrible. Yeah. And then I took meds and it was, it's just such a mind trip and a mind trip, the the live depression that you've never been happy. You've never been Mm -hmm. happy. You've like, you're never going to be happy again. It's just such a crazy mind trip, but it's 100% reality for you when it's you. Yeah. And that's, I, that's, I couldn't agree more. Like that is perfect way to say it. And I feel like it's a lot of, I mean, if you have cancer, if you've broken your leg, there's no stigma around going to the hospital and getting treatment, whether it's surgery, whether it's chemotherapy, whether it's a cast, um, people are so ready to come and help you bring you dinner, pray for you, message you, you know, how's everything going? What can I do for you? Um, but when it comes to things that are unseen and unfelt by the person who is looking in from the outside, it can be hard to empathize and be compassionate. Um, and that's what mental health is. You don't see it. I mean, people that deal with it are usually just as happy as you and I are. Um, but it's when they're alone that it really breaks out and that's where the demons come out. And so I think, you know, we're both on a mission to just, spread kindness and empathy and sympathy for any person out there who may be going through something that's culturally misunderstood or taboo, whether it's, you know, same sex attraction, whether it's addiction, whether it's mental illness, whether it's discouragement, things where people don't always understand what they're going through and they make excuses for it. Um, We're trying to end that and bring love and hope and inspiration and relatability to these issues. And so, Let's just do this thing. Let's keep going. This is, this is good. Let's just do this thing. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So we both know the stigma with mental illness and things like that. Depression, anxiety, PTSD. It's gotten better over the years. We both totally acknowledge that it's better. When I was little and my father had a mental illness, we are in a completely different time now where it's Mm. talked about more medications, better therapies, better. There's just more awareness. Do you feel like we still have room to grow and how so? hundred percent. Yeah. I definitely think we have room to grow. Um, I mean, one in four people research says will deal with a mental illness at some point in their lives, whether it's, you know, situational or genetic or whatnot. Um, and so that leaves, you know, 75% of people that still don't really understand, um, what people go through, um, and what they experience on a daily hourly kind of minute by minute basis. And so 100%, I think we're in a much better place than we have been, you know, in generations past. I think that the generations today, um, you're my generation, I think because of, you know, just how we see the world, how we were raised, um, I think we definitely have a much better perspective on not just, you know, forgetting about it or not talking about it, but bringing awareness to it. And I think that we can just continue to end the stigma by being vulnerable. 
I, I think, you know, five, 10 years ago, people thought vulnerability was just kind of like, um, oh, that's awkward. Don't talk about that because that's just kind of gross, you know? Um, it is awkward sometimes. Yeah, it can but be super awkward. It. It is I awkward. know. <laughs> it, it, it and takes, sometimes people do judge you for taking meds. It's like, it's all, there is some truth, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. And I, I, that's, that's the, um, that's just kind of what comes with the territory. If you're going to be honest and share your story, there's going to be people that hate on you. Um, there's going to be people that ask questions or say things that you're just like, wow, you don't get it. Um, but I mean, that's just where we have to, you know, put into place our own patience and our own love and sympathy um, because we were all like that at some point in our lives. Um, and obviously it's easier said than done, but I think we will, this will continue to get better. This con- will continue to be talked about more and more and more. It'll continue to be written about in books, talked about on TV shows. Um, and I'm confident. I mean, there's not a one word answer that's going to solve all the the stigmas and whatnot, but I think as people just continue to be open, um, and not like self-pitying open, but just like, this is what's going on with me, but you know, this is my experience. We can do this. We can solve this. We can be positive, but still be vulnerable and talk about negativity. I think you can talk about negativity in a positive way. Um, and so I think that'll, that'll help us as we continue to, to end this. So if someone said to you, are you happy now? What would you say to them? I would say, yeah, I'm happy. Um, I mean, I think happiness, I'm not going to like, I'm not a philosopher on happiness, but I think that happiness is just can change so quickly, um, depending on, you know, situations and circumstances. But I would definitely say when I'm doing the right things, I'm happy because I have medication that I take and it helps me so much. I'm happy because, you know, my relationship with my wife is in a place where we can talk about things like this and it's not awkward and where we won't feel judged. Um, and I'm happy because there's the world is obviously right now, there's a lot of negativity in the world, but there's also a lot of positive things happening as well. And so I think we can be happy in our circumstances, knowing that we have so much help. If we're ill, there's so much help out there that can, save us and rescue us. We just need to humble ourselves, ask for help, and then accept that, you know, this is just something that will make our lives better. You know, I had these different questions I'm going to ask you, but I just want to ask you different ones now. So <laughs> everything. I love fine. it. It's fine. <laughs> I want to ask you before we end, and I'm going to have you share a final message. What do you do with thoughts? Because I've struggled with these thoughts a lot in my own mental health journey, trying to figure out why I have problems with this and other people don't. Is it my Mm. biology? Is it my traumatic experiences as a young kid? Is it because I eat too much sugar or I drink too much Diet Coke? Is it because (laughs) I didn't exercise quite hard enough at the gym today? Mm. With those kind of thoughts, I, I would assume you've had those as well, where you try to figure out and make sense of, because because we don't have a blood test for this right that's what i want i want someone to just like take a blood test and just be like please tell me like um, what my iron's low like why in the world did this this girl that i am that was just happy and outgoing and i like work myself to death and i've tried to do all the things 
why do I struggle? And my siblings don't, or my neighbor doesn't. And they've been through hard things too, and they didn't end up like me. Mm. What do you do with those kind of thoughts? Yeah, that is such an important question. Um, And one that I think about a lot as well, you know, I think we all want to be like everybody else in some way or another. Um, We all tend to compare ourselves in some way or another to other people's lives and and what they're going through. And, um, you know, it's just, I actually had an experience a couple of years ago where I was talking with somebody about somebody else, um, just like gossiping and saying, you know, I don't like how this person does this and, you know, why do they do things this way? And um, the person that I was talking to just kind of let me get it out. And then they turned to me and they said, you know what, Drew, just give them grace. Just let them, you know, everyone goes through different things. Everyone has different experiences. Just give them some, give them some grace and continue to be their friend, continue to lift them up and things will eventually improve. And I've never forgotten that because, you know, normally we think that we need to like do everything ourselves. We need to fix ourselves. We need to become better all by ourselves. And I think that just as we're willing to give others grace, we need to give ourselves grace and understand that everyone goes through different stuff. Um, If it's not one thing, it's another thing. And sometimes I honestly think about it and I'm like, you know what? If it wasn't mental illness, it would be something else. And so I'm grateful that it is mental illness in a sense that I can, I've learned so much about myself um, that I wouldn't have learned without, you know, this challenge I've, been humbled to the extent where I don't judge people that go through this anymore. Um, I've learned so much about suicide and medication and therapy and abuse and all these things where if I didn't go through this, I would have no sympathy probably for those that went through it. And so to answer your question, I think like, of course we look at other people and we look inside ourselves and we think, why me? You know, why, why this, why this challenge? And totally legitimate questions to ask, but did they solve anything? Um, Did they help us be more productive and better? And usually no. And so, you know, flip that question around and say, why not me? You know, why not me? I'm a, I'm so cool that I get to go through this. Um, And I don't get it now, but down the road, I will get it. And someone will text me and say, thank you for sharing what you did because that saved my life. Yep. 100%. Well, and I just had that experience this morning. Someone had recently just read my book. We talked a little bit about this Mm -hmm. and they talked about how they sat down to read a chapter and they ended up staying up through the night and reading the whole thing, which was so cool. Not only because of course I like to hear that someone liked it. No, but it was because they connect and they told me this in their text message. There was a certain experience, especially that they're like, that was me. That was me. I've been on the bathroom floor like that. And so I couldn't stop reading because I see myself in this and that's what we need to do, right? We need to not just inspire each other. We need to remember what I said, relate to each other. That's it. We need to not just inspire (laughs) each other. We need to relate to each other. And so I just, I love that you are so open with your story and you're creating hope for so many. And I just love you, Drew Young. You're the best. I love you too. We need to get together sometime soon. We will. We only live like 45 minutes apart. I know. 
<laughs> with COVID and you like work and have a full-time job and stuff. So we'll figure it out though. Yes, um, <clears throat> what would you say to someone that is on their floor shaking and crying and does not feel hope? What message would you send to them? Or if it's easier, what would you have told yourself? Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's so hard in the moment because you just like took me back to that place. Um, and you don't want to be in that place ever. And you don't want to see other people in that place. But I would give this advice and this counsel to my former self and also to whoever's going through that. And that is just don't give up. Um, when I was struggling with pornography, I just had the, the feeling like I can do anything today, just not pornography. Like I can use any other outlet. I can, if I need to stay up all night and play video games, like and not sleep and you know, whatever, like that's better than going back to pornography. Um, and so I would say if you just need to keep breathing, like if you need to like take the day off or go on a hike by yourself, um, if you just need to like sit down and watch a movie and like, if that'll keep you here, um, if that'll keep you going, then that's worth it. Don't think like, Oh, I'm not being productive. Don't think, Oh, I'm so lazy. No, like this is a totally good excuse for you to just keep on living. Um, and you know, one day you'll look forward or you'll look backward where you are now and you'll say, okay, I get it. Um, yeah, that was hell, but I totally get it now. I don't know if that's going to be in a month. I don't know if that's going to be in two years, but you'll tell your story to somebody and they'll be going through the same thing. And they'll say, thank you for sharing that. Um, that really helped me. And so just keep going, please don't give up. You'll, you'll make it eventually. I don't know when, but you will. It says, don't give up. Thank you. And I would just add to that, that that message would have helped me on the floor too. I think that's exactly what, what we needed to hear, right? Just one second, one minute, one hour at a time, whatever you have to do. I don't care how much Diet Coke you have to drink or how many like ice cream cones you need to go get yourself, exactly. right? Like yeah. it's not going to be like this forever, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not permanent. Amen. True. Amen. Preach. Hallelujah. All the <laughs> yes. Okay, and Drew, you just have, you just had this amazing book come out in July. The, yeah. The meaning of your mission. Uh -huh. You have your mission and it's, and you talk about these principles um, and specifically in, incongruence, I believe with that service mission that you attempted yeah. to serve and had to come home early. Yep. And it's doing, <laughs> it's doing amazing. I saw that it just sold like it's thousandth copy. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like unbelievable. The reception of it. Um, I'm so grateful for everyone that's, you know, supported me in it. And just like you said, it's, it's like, it's what we've talked about here today. It's, um, it's my experiences with dealing with this, um, illness and dealing with, you know, being judged, being misunderstood, being on my floor at night, feeling suicidal. It's all my, it's a compilation of my experiences to help people understand like, okay, we all have challenges, but we all have a mission in life regardless of those challenges. And so people have been, um, really supportive of it. And, uh, I'm really grateful for how well it's done. Good. Good for you. 
I'm so proud of you if I can claim that. I'm proud of you. I don't know that you care that I'm proud of you, but I am. I do care because your book's going to sell 3,000 copies. So, I mean, it's going to be great. Oh, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, hey, thank you for being on the podcast today. We sure love you. And people can just go to Amazon to get the book. I know. Is that where you usually direct people? Yeah, they can go to Amazon. My website is drewbyoung.com as well. They can go check it out. Just, yeah, wherever. I'm. I, it's hard for people not to find me nowadays, unfortunately. So... <laughs> I did. I was Googling a picture of you to find one for a thumbnail of the episode. And I did see a few, but there were also some other people on there claiming to be Drew Young. And I was like, that's not the Drew Young I know. That's, that's not, not him. me. That's Don't not go him. there. He's white. That's <laughs> not him. <laughs> oh, hey, awesome. Thanks for being on the podcast, Drew. My name is Julie Lee and I see you. 